And um, so today we continue on our Christian Paradoxes um, series, and today is entitled Heads or Tails? Heads or Tails? And one of the problems with Christian Paradoxes is that what happens sometimes is that because people can get scriptural backing for different things that are found in the Word of God that kind of are like opposing to each other, you get people that set up camps on, on different ends of the spectrum, right? So you get, you get people that go, no, no, the Word of God says this, and we need to hold on to this, and they become militant about this, and then there's people on the other side that says, no, 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 this is what the Word of God says, and this is it, and we need to live according to this, and, and they don't talk, they only shout. Uh, they, they, they go on Facebook, they find each other out, and they start making snide comments on uh, their, their Facebook posts about how the world should work according to the Bible and say, no, well, the Bible says this. And the truth is, quite often, when there are tensions and paradoxes in the Word of God, we need to live in the tension of what God is saying. And I find this to be true in the area of what I'm calling heads and tails. And what this is about is our Christians called to be powerful people or are we called to be powerless people? Are we called to be leaders or are we called to be servants? Are we called to reign and rule in every facet of society or are we meant to simply serve as the meek and mild representation of Jesus to the oppressed people? Are we meant to be the heads or the tails? And I have met people from both camps, maybe not super extreme sides because I tend to stay away from people that are extreme. Um, but I have met people from either camps, and it's quite interesting. I, I remember I met someone from uh, the camp. Uh, I don't really want to call him camp. I just met this wonderful, really wonderful uh, person at, at my previous church. Uh, she was a businesswoman, and she was uh, a, a real person who served and had a lot of faith. But we're having this conversation about her business, about money, and I made this comment, I don't think I'll ever be a millionaire. Oh, I was like, you know, yeah, yeah, you know, I'm not, I don't think I'll be that. And by the way, what does it mean to be a millionaire? Does it mean that you have a million dollars in your bank? Or does it mean that you have a million dollars in assets? Or does it mean that you earn a million dollars a year? I don't really know. It's just like, because nowadays, if you happen to have a house, um, you're already more than half of the way there. Um, and I think that I'm more than, anyway, I, I just mentioned, I don't think so. And I got a telling off. She told me that I was not a person of faith, that I wasn't, that, that I needed to understand that God wants us all to prosper, and that my, me saying that I won't have that kind of prospering was showing a lack of faith, a lack of belief that God truly is able to do this. And let me just say, her heart behind us is that if every single Christian actually was financially prosperous, imagine what the church could do. You know, and I, I totally see it, and, but I, I thought it was kind of funny that there was that sense of like, if you're not prospering, you are not having faith. Is that really what the Word of God says? That, that I need to name and claim it? That I need to, uh, you know, say all these stuff? I, I will be a millionaire. I will be a millionaire. Pastor Beck spoke about cars last week and got old Lightning McQueen and Lightning McQueen sitting there at closing. He's like, I have speed. I am speed. Is that what we're supposed to be? I am rich. 
I'm prosperous. Is that what we're supposed to be like? Does that, is that, does that line up with the Word of God? But then I've met people on the other side of the town, and, um, uh, and, and they seem to think that Christians need to be self-sacrificing to the point of having to show that their life is painful. And I, I remember we went to this church event, uh, a few churches came together, we went to this other church, and I happened to go speak to um, the sound person, I just saw him standing by himself around the sound desk, and I went to speak to him, and I started asking about things, how things are going, and how life is going, and he launched into this uh, story about how he had been at church every single day that week, and probably might as well, he, this is his literal words, I might as well set up a bit under the sound desk because I'm here all the time. I'm here all the time. And they like that. Church is doing so much, and I need to be here all the time. And I was like, really? Like, and that's why our sound desk doesn't have a hidden place, because we want to make sure that we don't have trolls living under our sound desk. But this guy was, it, he was like humble brag. You know what I mean? It was like, I'm so self-sacrificial. I live at church all the time. I give all of my time. I don't have a life. I don't have a wife. I don't have anything to speak of because I'm at church all the time. And you know, I, I, I actually went to my psychologist. I still go to psychologists. And um, there is this thing called um, uh, schemas. And, and as I was going through it, she said, oh yeah, this is not surprising. You're a Christian. You're a pastor. Self-sacrificial. That's one of the things that always come up for Christians. Are we literally meant to always put ourselves last? Is that what the Bible says? So are we meant to... Can you see the paradox here? Are we meant to be first or are we meant to be last? Because the Bible seems to say both. And that's what I want to look at today because I think that we really need to explore this because in many ways this shapes the way that we live. It shapes the way that we raise the next generation. It shapes the way that we see whether something is good and godly or whether something is ungodly. And I think that there are a lot of behaviors that get caught up in this tension of the heads and the tails. And so we're going to look through them and we're going to look at what the Bible says in each of these categories not comprehensively, going to do a bit of a survey, but we're going to start with heads, all right? And so Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 13 to 14, this is what it says, And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. End of story. It's in the Bible. And you shall only go up and not down if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, being careful to do them. And if you do not turn aside from any of the words that I command you today to the right or to the left, to go after other gods to serve them. So pretty clear, right? This is a pretty good one. Now, this one is another fun one. This one, Joshua 1 verse 2 says, Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. I heard this uh, especially being prayed for, uh, like church planters or people going out to do something. So everywhere you put your foot, you'll need to start doing prayer walks because everywhere you put your foot, that's going to be given to you. Anyway, great one. I, I heard a joke about this, like every sporting team uh, should say this, should, should chant this verse, should, should have this as their verse. It's like when the Eagles are going to the MCG, everywhere we put our foot, you better run boys because you're going to own the MCG. Anyway, Isaiah 54 verse 2, love this one, enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back, lengthen the courts and strengthen your stays. It's about expansion. 
God is telling someone, expand, expand, expand. And, and I, love, I, I hear this quite often as well. It's like, it's a season of expansion. This is the verse for you, expand. And then our favorite uh, in Pentecostal world, Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare or some translations, plans to prosper you and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Now, I, I think I'm mentioning these and I'm kind of sensing that some people are going, nah, this obviously this is not what it's all about. And you're kind of doubting that God is good. Don't do that. See, part of the problem with paradoxes is that we see people that are maybe extreme in a form and we say, that's definitely not it. And so that's what causes us to go to the other side. No, no, we need to examine this. We need to understand because these are actually still in the Word of God. And, and honestly, some of these verses at different times have been the right verse for the right season. Uh, you know, sometimes in, in Pentecostal world, we call it the rhema word of God. It's a now word of God. It's, 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 a, it's, it's a verse, it's a passage that God can bring to mind and help us understand what this current season is all about. But what I'm more focusing on is that sometimes what I have seen or what I've understood is that some people take these verses and others, and go, see, if you are a Christian, you are meant to be the head and not the tail. You will only go up and you will never go down. You will always expand. You will always prosper. That is your God-given right, that God has called us to rule and reign. And people use this and they start to, to launch into business. They launch into different aspects of, of life, education, politics, and they say, see, God is calling me to this. That means I'm going to own this space. But if we examine that thought logically, it doesn't actually make sense. Because it means that the person who is prospering and leading necessarily is loved by God more than everyone else. If expansion and promotion is God's plan for His children, that means that those who have expanded, those who are prospering, those who are ruling are necessarily loved more by God. Do you follow my thinking? And so when we examine the world, Elon Musk, God loves far more than the person who was born into the slums of a third world nation. I heard this once that the gospel of God can only make sense if it is the same for the CEO of a company as it means to a, a, a homeless, oppressed person in another nation. The gospel doesn't change depending on your circumstance. And so the gospel of God is not about you becoming top dog in every facet of society. So what does it mean? Why do we have these passages? Why do we say these passages to encourage and build one another up? Well, the whole point of these passages is that they were written, they were spoken to a specific group of people at a specific point in time for a specific situation. We can't cherry pick and take those promises that were given to someone else and say it's mine. It's like a kid going to a birthday party and stealing the wishes of the other kid. 
It doesn't work. It's not your candles. It's not your party. All right? And if we cherry pick what God is saying to a specific group of people for a specific point in time, then we need to take everything that God says to specific people at a specific point in time. For example, in the Deuteronomy 28 passage, do you know that just 30 verses later, 3 0, same chapter, this is what it says He shall lend to you, and you shall not lend to him. He shall be the head, and you will be the tail. Not you will be the head, but rather he will be the head. So if we want to take Deuteronomy chapter 28 verse 13 and say, I want to be the head, then I say to you, Deuteronomy 28 verse 30, 44, no, he will be the head. You know, it doesn't make sense for us to go through the Bible and flick, 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 I like that one, so that's for me. We are not allowed to do that, Christians. That is not how it works. We have to understand the context, and when we understand the context, who is being set for, why did God say it to them, we can draw out and understand God's heart and His unchanging principles for our life today. And so in Deuteronomy, let's go through these particular ones quickly. In Deuteronomy 28, this is Moses giving his final speech to the Israelites before he dies. This is just before they enter into the promised land, and Moses had done a recap of their journey through the wilderness so far, and then he says to them, basically, you're about to become a nation that is meant to represent God. And if you follow God, you as a nation. So this isn't a promise for a person. Because if you imagine our nation of, what are we at, 20 million, every single one of us saying, no, God's called me to be the leader. Well, we know what happens, right? We've seen the Labour Party. I'm the leader now. No, I'm the leader now. This is stupid. Someone has to lead. And that doesn't mean that there's going to be a whole bunch of followers there. So God says to the nation of Israel, you will be the head and not the tail if you set up your nation according to my principles. And that's the whole point. God was wanting to let his people know, you are my chosen people, but to live under my covering, there are still a whole bunch of ways and principles that you need to live by. That still stands true today. That as God, God's people, are we graced by God? 100%. Are his mercies new every morning? 100%. But is there a way to live under his covering? 100%. Is there a way to live outside of God's covering? 100%. And that's why we do things like Freedom Day, so we can check through our lives. Are there aspects of my life that is living outside of God's covering? And so that's what Deuteronomy 28 is. It's to show us that there is a way that God commands us to live according. We go a little bit later to Joshua chapter 1, verse 2, and this again is a specific promise to the Israelites now entering the promised land. And so every place that your foot uh, treads upon, I have given to you. But note this, it says, just as I promised to Moses, and not just to Moses, but to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It was a promise. The promised land was promised for generations. It was a specific promise to a specific group of people. And Joshua entering the promised land, God was saying, I'm a God who keeps my promises. That is the timeless principle that we can hold on to today. Not that everywhere you put your foot, you own. I put my feet all over the stage. I still don't freaking own it. We're still paying rent on it. Come on, your promises aren't working, God. 
And if we even just think about this, that was given to the Israelites walking the promised land. But does that mean that if I go walk in the promised land that I own it? No. But what I can hold on to is that if God's promised something, He will fulfill it. And so when God says that if you call upon His name, you will be saved, guess what? It's a promise that you can hang on to. It's a promise that you know will be true. Finally, I'm going to uh, uh, clump uh, Isaiah 52, uh, sorry, Isaiah 54 and Jeremiah 29 together. They were both speak, spoken by prophets to the exiled community of Israel. That's something that's super important for us to note. We can't just go around saying, God says that you're going to prosper, because these were actually given to people who were not in a position of prospering at that very point in time. They were the exiled community. What does that mean? They were um, uh, broken down. They, 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 they were owned by another nation. Why? Because they were idolatrous. They failed to follow God's rules as Deuteronomy 28 stated. So they no longer were the head. They were now the tail. Why? Because they didn't follow God's ways. But in the midst of their consequence, God still speaks a word of restoration and hope to them. That's what these two passages are about. It's not saying that you will never suffer. It's not saying that you will always expand. But it's saying that in the midst of consequences of sin, in the midst of struggle and suffering, God still looks to you with favor and desires to bring restoration to you. When you have sinned and when you've come back to God, what is God's word to you? I've always wanted to prosper you. And I will bring that prospering in the right form in the right time when you turn to me. So we can't just take passages and make it mean what we want it to mean. There's nothing in the Bible that actually says that you will always be the head and never the tail. There's no, if we know the Bible well enough, we know that, the, that Jesus actually says that in this life you will have trials, you will have suffering, and that is the other side of the Word of God. However, what, is, what tends to happen, as I've mentioned already, is that we say, no, 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 God's not actually said that we will always rule and reign. That's, that's just rubbish. And so people then walk to the other side and say, so this must be the truth. I'm meant to struggle and I'm meant to suffer through my life. Is that what God actually says? Well, we find in Mark chapter 9, verse 33 to 37, and this is what it says, And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, Jesus asked them, his disciples, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and he called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And so Jesus says a whole bunch of this kind of stuff. He says you need to deny yourself. He says that you need to serve one another. He talks about servanthood a lot. And then we reach into the epistles, into what Paul and the other apostles write, and they, they talk about, you know, putting other people's interest in front of ours. And so there is this idea that, no, 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 we're not meant to be leading and, like, having power. We are meant to be powerless and meekly serving everyone. But is that really what the Bible says? I remember I was having a conversation with a man who, um, whose parents were missionaries and would go to third world nations and plant churches. Sounds like a fantastic couple. But from this man's perspective, 
it was actually something that was really, really difficult. You see, what had happened is that this couple who were planting churches had this perspective that if I'm serving God, God will then provide for my family. And so they never drew a salary. They didn't have something called superannuation. They had no retirement funds. They were, at that point of time in that conversation, they were about to retire with not a cent in their bank account, nothing left. And they had three kids. This man was one of them. And he said that his two siblings had distanced themselves from the church and from the parents. Why? Because they never experienced parents who had anything to give to them. They, they, they were raised always trusting God for the next meal. And so they were now at a place where they had their, their own families and they went, you know what, I want to look after my family. I never want my kids to experience what I experienced. And they walked away from the faith and they walked away from their parents. This man was really sad because he was also worried that those two other siblings were not going to contribute to their parents' survival after retirement. And now he said, now it's all on me to look after my parents. And I think at some level, these parents go, see, God provides for us. He's provided us kids to look after us. Well, do you want to know what the Word of God says about that? 1 Timothy 5.8, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. If you don't provide for your household, you're worse than an unbeliever. That's pretty strong words there. Now, that particular passage uh, was written uh, for Timothy to know who should be leaders in the church in Ephesus. So there's a bit of context there. But he's saying, don't choose people who don't know how to provide for their family. That's not a good show of faith and faithfulness and stewardship of what God has given. So, we have this whole thing of like, no, no, Jesus, you told me that I need to deny myself and to serve other people. And so that's what I'm trying to do. And then next minute you tell me, no, you're supposed to like still be able to do all these things. Yes. And do you know that Jesus said a lot about stuff about how our lives are meant to be? Do you know that Jesus said that the Sabbath is meant, is meant for us, that we are meant to be restful? that we are meant to have a restfulness in our lives. Do you know that Jesus said, come to me, you who are weary and burdened. You're not meant to be living that way because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How do we reconcile the fact that Jesus says, serve people, and then he says, but also live a balanced lifestyle? I find Christians don't like to think about this. They either like to think I'm the leader or I'm just meant to serve. Anytime anyone says I need this, yes, because I'm the servant of the Lord. It's like, come on, there's, there's so much in this that we need to understand. And this is the key issue that I think is happening here. The key issue with the heads and tails paradox is that we are thinking about ourselves. Is that we are making it about me, about one individual. When the Bible wasn't written for you, it was written for us. Jesus wasn't, the Bible wasn't written to say, you're going to prosper, you're going to prosper, you're going to prosper. Neither was the Bible meant to be, you're going to serve, you're going to serve, you're going to serve. So we are going to prosper 
we are going to serve. There is a weeness in the Word of God that stops us from thinking about my position in society for myself. And we start to think about my position in the body of Christ. Let me show this to you. Paul writes this brilliantly. Ephesians 4 verses 1 to 7, it says, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord. Paul was literally a prisoner at that time. His position, his position in world's eyes was as a prisoner. He was not in a position of glory. We like to say, oh, Paul, the great apostle. Back then, he was bold, short-sighted, ugly, monobrow probably. That's what some people said, and often a prisoner. When we looked at the guy, we'd be like, oh, you're Paul? Yes, he was Paul. And he, a prisoner of the Lord, urges us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And so he's saying it doesn't depend on your position in society. What matters is the call of God that you have all received. And you are meant to walk in a manner worthy of the call. So let's think about this call. What does he say about the call? He says, we are meant to walk in it with all humility and gentleness, with patience. And then here it is, really interesting, bearing with one another with love. Why do you think the call requires us to bear with one another in love? It's because the call is not for you individually, it's for you in the body of Christ. The call is not about whether you are like, like walking well by yourself, it's how you are walking with other people. The manner worthy of the call requires us to examine how we are walking with other people. So you might be all like, I'm earning a million dollars and I'm giving more than a tithe to the church and so that is worthy of the call, but it means that I can treat other Christians like dirt. No! You can give as much money as you want. Treating other people like dirt is not a manner worthy of the call of God. It's all about, yeah, if you give a million dollars and you're all humble and, and generous, please do that. Wonderful. But uh, the main thing is that because your heart is for the body of Christ, not for your personal comfort, not for your personal position, not for your personal approval, I see a lot of people in the camp of the servant. And why they're in the camp of the servant is because they want to serve so that people can see them as servants. And in this weird upside down world, they think that being seen as a servant in the church is a position of glory and a position that's worth affirming. And so they serve and they look like they're in pain so that people go, oh, you are such a good Christian. No, that's not what the Bible says. Walk in a way that is worthy of the calling, that we bear with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We're meant to have this body mentality. And you know what? Even if you're the appendix, when you're not doing well, guess what happens to the whole body? It suffers along with you. So for that guy who was living under the sound booth, you're being an appendicitis to us. Learn how to allow other people to serve alongside you. Train the next generation up. It's not about your service. It's about the body growing. 
And so when we detach ourselves from the body and we think about ourselves, whether you're the heads or the tails, you're getting it wrong. But when we're attached to the body and we see the value of the body and we want the body to grow up, that's our call. That's our position. Let me make it clearer. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 to 31. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administration, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire to higher gifts. So Paul says, remember, we are all, you individually are not the body of Christ. Just like a skin cell is not night. We are all just parts and members of the greater body of Christ. And then he talks about the fact that all of us have been given gifts. And then he talks right at the end with this really weird verse. And he says, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. And as a young man, I saw that and I went, yes, I'm getting that higher gift. Apostleship, here I come. Is that what Jesus was, is that what Paul was trying to say? You know, one moment it's like, you're, you're, not, you're not it, you're just part of it. And then it says, but you get to be the higher it. It's like, come on, that's not what Paul is saying, right? Because it doesn't make sense. If Paul's trying to talk about a hierarchy and who's going to be more on it. No, what is Paul trying to say here? Well, I looked into it because I was confused. And the word higher can also be translated louder. A louder gifts. And as I was looking into that, I think that this is what makes most sense to me. Paul is saying that all of us have been given gifts, but all of us should eagerly desire that our gifts are amplified for the building of the body. Amplified. Louder. So you might have been given a gift of administration, for example, but does that mean that it only has to be a small, tiny role in the church, or can your administration actually build the whole freaking body of Christ? How cool is that? You know, one of the key members of the state executive that I get to serve with is a guy who is the king of administration. And he came here, Pastor Graham Barlow prayed for us in the opening, and let me tell you, I love that guy. His gift of administration has been amplified to the level of serving not just our state, but our nation. So you think you've got a teach and give. Great. How is it going to be amplified? You've got a gift of service and helping other people. Great. How is it going to be amplified? Eagerly desire that your gifts are not just to make yourself feel like you've got a position, but is amplified and is usage in the body. And the whole point of it is that the body benefits from it. Paul writes in another passage that every one of us understanding our position in the body, when we are performing our role, when our gifts are being amplified, what happens? The body grows up. It, it develops, it edifies itself in love. It, it, it matures. What am I trying to say? Stop trying to be the head. Stop trying to be the tail. Try to be how God has called you and understand the gifts and the call that has been already given to you and freaking amplify it. Serve someone. 
lead someone, whether through your leadership or your service, are other people growing? That is the mark of a Christian. So you may be serving till you give everything of yourself and then you fall down exhausted, burnt out. Who's being served by your burnout? Are your kids going to want to serve the way that you served? Are your kids going to love God the way that you did apparently? If they're walking away from it, they see that that's not how I want to be. There's a problem there. And that's why the Bible keeps coming back to kids because kids see everything about us. And so you want to be a leader? See how you treat your kids. See what they're growing up with. I'm really worried how Sam's going to be now. <laughs> Two years later, someone's like, oh, Sam's being a teenager. You're, and he's being rebellious. Nate, you're no longer the leader. No, anyway. I serve the body. If we get caught up in our position because of how the position makes us look, because of how the position makes us feel, because of the worth and the value we gain from the position, whether from the leader or the servant, we're missing the point. But when I reorient my life to the body, God, how do you want me to serve the body today? Take my eyes off myself. That is the part of the denying of myself. That's what allows me to walk in a manner worthy of the call. You know, the longer I do ministry, the more I find value. I don't know if this is the right way to say it, but in using the gifts that God's given to me is exciting. It's so worth it. But it needs to be developed. It needs to be worked on. When I first started preaching 15 years ago, would any other church say, Nate, come speak? They would be stupid to do so. Like, seriously. I had to hone it. But part of the honing requires me to be in a community that I serve and who serves me. And it tells me, Nate, that wasn't that great. And it's like, okay, you're loving me through this. Being a part of the community of God isn't about trying to find your hierarchy, your position in terms of where you sit, but it's more about finding a place where you are able to serve and to be served. Both are equally important, to serve and to be served. Hang-ups and all. I've got my hang-ups. I'm still working through them. But by the grace of God, I'm praying that this is the house where my gifts will be amplified because I earnestly desire that what I'm teaching is not to make me sound good, but is to help you develop into the people that God's called you to be. We can get the band up. You know, as a church, we are stepping into a new season. We're no longer setting up, packing down, putting all our effort into that stuff. We now have an opportunity to really develop strategies and programs for the long term, to impact our community, to build people up within the house and outside of the house as well. Those are equally important to us. But what is required from that are people that are willing to say, I am part of the body of Christ and I'm finding myself in this church community. So how do I use my gifts? 
See, the thing about gifts is that if you don't use them, they cannot be amplified. If you don't speak into a microphone, it doesn't do anything. The amplifiers only work because there is an input, or sorry, there's an output that you give to it. It takes something and then it amplifies it. So I want you to consider this morning, what are the gifts that God has called you to use for the body? Not to lord it over people, but neither is it just to like be a worm in the church. No, we are brothers and sisters called to be one body. And all of us in our right position, using the gifts, using the talents, using the skills that God has given to us, in our right position, we build a body up together. Isn't it interesting that Jesus doesn't say that he's building the body? He's building the body through us. I get to serve Jesus by serving other people. I serve Jesus by being the best me, the whole me. Come for Freedom Day if you're not free. Seriously. I'm not saying that you're going to walk away completely without any struggles. In fact, you will have your struggles, but at least you'll know why you're struggling, maybe. But that's our prayer. We do all of these things so that the body can mature. Where our gifts can be amplified. So can I just pray? Let's close your eyes. Dear Jesus, I just pray over our church. I thank you that not a single person is here by accident, but I thank you that you've called each and every person here because you're placing them in your body. And if this is not their local body, I pray that they will go back to their local body and to serve with everything that they've got for your sake. But I pray to God that we will neither overestimate what you've given to us and make it all about us, or underestimate what you've given to us and forget that, God, that you're the one that's called us in the first place. I pray, God, that you give us dreams and desires on how we can use what you have given to us and let it be amplified. Let it be amplified in our lives, in our families, in this church, in our communities, God. God, I pray for those who have a burden uh, to, to share your gospel. I pray that they will share it all the more. I pray for those who desire to teach. I pray to God that they will steward that gift. They will learn. Uh, for those who can do administration, for those who serve others. God, whatever it is, God, we don't pray, we don't play um, a premium on any of them but God I pray that each of us will serve the way that you have called us to serve God to live as you have called us to live and I thank you Jesus I pray this in your name Amen we're going to close here today church and um, thank you for being here but seriously can I just encourage you to just consider what's, what are you calling me to God what is that thing that you've put on my heart because that's valuable that's something that god can really use and amplify but if you don't use it it's not going to get amplified consider what lift groups you can be a part of be a part of the community uh, sign up for freedom day if that's something that you think will be helpful for you but meet people love people be a part of the body this morning thank you so much church um, and um, if you've got kids in Kids Church, please sign them out as well um, so that we can release the team. Thank you so much, everyone. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. 
follow us on Instagram at The Lift Church or on Facebook at Live Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.